What is the biggest challenge you've overcome? Unquestionably, it's it's mastering myself. Huh. That, that, there's no there's no challenge that would be any bigger. David Andrew Weeb with the new music industry podcast and following up with some of the news items from last week, episode 435 of the Antidote podcast is live. I mentioned last week that I would be on the show and you can now hear the interview at the antidoteradio.com. I was on the show with my friends Carla Olive and Frederick Tamagi. I think it turned out great. They featured some of our music there. Apparently it's syndicated to something like 60 FM radio stations. Excited to see what the results of that might be. So if the Spirit Searcher Volume 1 compilation is something you're interested in, I would love for you to go and have a listen. I'm sure you can find it anywhere. Spotify, Deezer, Tidal, Amazon, wherever you look, you should be able to find it. I continue to plug away at my coursework, of course, and I just made the commitment to publish something new to Medium every single day for the next 365 days, beginning July 28th. That's insane. This is something I'll probably be sharing more about in an upcoming episode, but if you'd like to follow along and see what happens, you can find me on Medium at medium.com slash at David A. Weeb. It's kind of like my Twitter handle. With my current musical project, which I also touched on last time, it's a comedic tribute to the 80s. I've started working on the David Bowie style track. There's a few other tracks, you know, that are in the style of Robert Palmer or Van Halen or what have you. Of course, I'm not looking to create something that's so close to source material that I end up in a lawsuit. That's not the goal. But I'm always putting my spin on things and I think it's going to be pretty cool when all is said and done. Okay, so for today's show, some of you probably noticed that this is episode 200 and you might be asking yourself, okay, DA, aren't you going to do something special for episode 200? And the answer is, honestly, today's episode is special. It's special enough. It's more than special. You may have heard me refer to myself as an author, entrepreneur, musician, right? That is a true statement. Though if I really wanted to, I could give myself a different tagline. The thing is, I can't think of a better tagline that better encompasses everything I do. So I know I'm building this up quite a bit but I found another person who identifies as an author, entrepreneur, musician. Super cool. And because we had a lot in common, obviously, and that proved to be fertile ground for discussion and to use a fancy word, extrapolation, which I like to think of as the process of taking an idea and imagining what isn't already there, we obviously had a lot to share. So episode 200 is special. And I hope you'll soak up every minute of it. Let's get into the interview. Today, I'm chatting with award-winning entrepreneur and all-around fascinating human, Andy Seth. How are you today, Andy? Fantastic. <laughs> What's going on? Awesome. Love your enthusiastic response. Sounds like we have a lot in common, and so this is going to be an exciting conversation. You grew up in a motel in LA from the ages of 0 to 14. Your family went bankrupt, and this is where you discovered that following the status quo wasn't going to serve you. I think entrepreneurs often have that moment of clarity, but what was it specifically that wasn't working for you? Boy, there was a, there was a lot packed into there. So growing up in, in a motel... Uh, and being Indian, first of all, you might think I we owned it. We did not. We just, we just <laughs> in it. Um, 
you know, I, I grew up there for 14 years of my life from, from zero to 14. So uh, the kinds of things that you're around and, and what's happening in life that you would live in a place where you pay rent week to week, you know, there, I think there's a lot that <laughs> there's a lot that I saw and experienced that um, made me realize pretty young the difference between just even having money, not having money, um, having safety and security. Um, you know, like we saw a lot of people who were abused come live in the motel. We saw a lot of, uh, you can imagine what we saw, right? So, yeah. um, I think for the most part, childhood was, was, you know, was like innocent until it wasn't. And when we went bankrupt, that's really when it wasn't like I was lying to creditors and saying, you know, my parents weren't available and I would see the when they would call to you know collect and see the letters and stuff like I think that's really what woke me up to, ooh man something's wrong like I I just didn't know any different beforehand it, it, things kind of sucked but it I didn't know that they sucked right but until when we went bankrupt and I realized that something's like something's wrong and um, I'd say there was that was a pretty pivotal moment in my life. Yeah, I think you expressed it very well. And my understanding of human psychology, at some point, we all have that, wow, there's something wrong here moment, oftentimes early in childhood, maybe somewhere between four and six. Eventually, you have that realization. It could be something small, but suddenly you have that awakening that, huh, everything's not quite right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, on your about page, it says education, entrepreneurship, and spirituality showed you a life you never knew existed. I love this statement. The part that caught my attention the most was spirituality. So what was it about spirituality that was so life-changing for you? I think I've, I've probably gone through a number of like fits and starts when it comes to spirituality. You know, I, I grew up in a, in a house that was Hindu, um, but my parents... Like, uh, they were really open about me exploring religion. And um, so I, I mean, in my, my educational path, I did end up going to a Lutheran school for a little bit before I went to Boston College, which was a Catholic school. Um, you know, obviously been around the Hindu faith for quite a while. Hmm. Uh, and so I've been around religion, but it wasn't until 2016 when I had sold my last company, it was the biggest exit I had had. And I went through like this, this time of, well, I've got money and I've got time and I've got like the ability to do a lot of things, but I, I felt like this is it. And I, and I know it was so hmm. cliche and I knew it was cliche then. <clears throat> and I, I was like, God, this, I know everyone's told me like, you know, money isn't everything and, and it's not, but at the same time, there's a great deal of happiness that does come when you have resources. That There is truth to that. It's just that when I finished this work, I had nothing left. I didn't have like this next purpose. And so I really felt like empty. And mm-hmm. I was, I'm fortunate, you know, my family is from India, but we're specifically from a place called Rishikesh, which is the birthplace of yoga. And I still have family there. And one of my uncles is a really, really successful businessman. And he's also quite spiritual. And so I went back to India really just to kind of take some time and do a little bit of asking questions of my my uncle. Like how does he he balance this world of being really materially successful but yet he's got this vibe where like if he lost it all, somehow you knew he'd be okay with that. And there was something about him and I was like, I got to learn the secrets. And so I went to – talk with him and and you know like when this when the student is ready the teacher appears type of situation that's totally what happened he's sat on this wisdom 
for all this time and like never really brought it to me, but I wasn't really ready until that moment. And um, he helped me connect a lot of dots that I was struggling with. The, the biggest dot that I struggled with was how can I be so aggressive and ambitious? In, in some ways, I'm a monster when it comes to like the, the, the goals and ambitions I have. And I don't mean monster like I'm, I'm mean. I mean like I've just got that drive. You know, it's innate and it's, it's fired like level. It's not that tame. And I enjoy letting that out. And yet at the same time, I don't want to be suffering for what I've achieved or not yet achieved. Uh, and that's what was happening. Yeah. I have this drive, but I was suffering. How do I get rid of the suffer piece? And that's what my uncle helped guide me along and, and really showed me. And it was so transformative that that's actually the, the influence for the book that I ended up writing. It's a, it's a parable, but the main character is influenced by me. And then the guide is influenced by my uncle. There's so much there I could say by way of comment. I guess I relate to the spiritual journey a little bit. I'll start there. You know, I was brought up in a Christian home and went to church for the first 30 years of my life. Things started changing a little bit after that. And I don't know how to quite express it in a way that, uh, that people would be able to relate necessarily, but it, I just started digging. I started looking for something more than mm -hmm. the confines I had been brought up in and had those discoveries. And, you know, maybe it's a trope to say or give this example, but, you know, Steve Jobs went to India, had a bit of awakening of his own. So did uh, Alanis Morissette and many others. So, yeah, I think there's something to that, you know? Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, uh, along those lines, the Beatles, when they went back 50 whatever years ago, oh yeah, they went to Rishikesh. <laughs> that's right that's they right there. and so there the ashram that they had actually gone to is is kind of in ruins but it is it is still there yeah another great example there yeah i also liked what you shared about advice coming from people with a safety net i don't know if my <laughs> listeners even know this but music entrepreneur hq is completely self-funded i have received some financial support along the way for some very specific things such as editing for my book but other than that it's my money being poured into it and my mm. only safety net is that at all times i'm aware of what sources of cash are available to me but i'd love to hear your perspective on this what's the downside of getting advice from people with a safety net yeah. So <laughs> that's, that, first of all, can I just say props to you for like the homework that you did? Um, I love that you asked me this. It's usually something I inadvertently will bring up if at all. Um, right. So if you're, if you're a, a listener, first of all, respect to the, to the host. No wonder you listen to the show. And, and second of mm -hmm. all, if you're a listener, um, the people that vibe with me that I vibe with haven't come from anything, haven't had the kinds of resources, haven't had these like uh, let's just call them, you know, their, their advantages. I think the word privilege has got like kind of twisted up, yeah. so I'm not even going to mess with it. But like there's advantages one has. And believe me, I have worked hard to give advantages to my kids. I just didn't have them. But here's what I started to learn. See, I went to really like really high end high school. I went to a school called Culver Military Academy. It's one of the most prestigious high schools in the nation. Huge endowment. People like George Steinbrenner, who owned the Yankees, went there. And like I met incredible people. Um, and so when I when I saw where everybody was, you know, people were coming from different places, but I definitely came from a way different place. That place cost twenty five thousand dollars a year and I got a full scholarship. And so and I also got a full scholarship to Boston College. So like for me, I wasn't the same 
in that sense, right? But it was a leveling playing field that I could now go and compete. Um, but when I say like, be careful of advice that you get from people who haven't had a safety net, mm. I say that because if you don't have a safety net, there's some things that people will advise you on that are just stupid. They're stupid. <laughs> you wouldn't do that. Let me give you a very specific example right now. Um, Perfect. Education is, you know, worldwide one of the equalizers and a great way to break poverty. Well, let's unpackage that a little bit more because what's happening today is a college degree doesn't mean you're going to make a ton of money. It, in fact, doesn't have a correlation to that. But what it does is if you don't have a college degree, the jobs that of the past that used to be still pretty good paying jobs have gone away. So having a college degree doesn't pay more than it used to, but not having a college degree pays less than it used to. And therefore, there's a great divide between the earnings of someone with a college degree and someone without a college degree. As a result, what you're seeing are a lot of people who are, who are spitting off and saying like college is useless, it's worthless, you can go get this information online, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. In a way, they're not wrong. It's, yes, you can get it. But look, is everyone going to be a successful entrepreneur? No. And, and what they'll say is, no, I'm not saying it's for everyone. But basically, they'll come out and say like college is bullshit. And sorry, I didn't know if I could cuss. But go for say, it. You know, college is BS. And so um, – that, but that's not that's that's not true for everyone. And the people that are saying this, some very famous people. Look, one of the one of the people that that's saying this, and he's kind of caveated a little bit of this. But Gary V, who's a who's an entrepreneur, I think pretty much everyone around the world would respect. But this mm -hmm. is one area where Gary's wrong. This is an area where his advantage in life, and he's going to say, you know, well, I was the son of immigrants. Yes, he, all that stuff is true. But like, your father had a business. And that business was one that you had a job in. And you had a job no matter what you were doing. You're, you, you got a job having terrible grades. Well, let me tell you what it sounds like when you have terrible grades and you don't have a parent who can employ you. You don't get a job. You don't go somewhere. And then you, you can make all these kinds of arguments. But like, so when you hear Gary V or anybody say, you know, college isn't worth anything or, or it's, it's not you know, it's not all it's cut out to be. In some regards, that's true. There are definitely disciplines in college that do not lead to high income careers. But if you are, if you have no safety net and you come from a background of poverty, this is definitely one of the highest probability routes you can go. Entrepreneurship is a very low probability route. I've, I'm an entrepreneur. I also went and got my education. And I started my first business that's tax paying when I was 13. And that first business was nine years long. It wasn't like, oh, I started a little business. No, I had a proper company, was paying taxes. It was a multi-million dollar business by the time I had finished with it. So I'm telling you as a young entrepreneur who didn't need to go to college, who then started two more businesses in college and sold those while I was in college, I still finished college. Why? Because the risk of not finishing was too great. The risk of staying poor was too high. So that's one of those things where I'm not saying you should or shouldn't go to college. In fact, I've created apprenticeships for low-income youth who don't go to college. What I am saying is it's not, a, it's not the answer for everybody to say like college isn't for everybody. And when you get advice from people that have had safety nets and you try to follow it and you don't have one, 
the risk is a lot higher than they're making it sound like. And you might never make it to where you, where you imagine yourself because you follow the advice of somebody who's not telling you the truth, the truth about their situation, the truth about, you know, here's, I bought my first house at 25, they say. Well, I did buy my first house at 25. It's because I sold a company and the house I bought was for my parents so they could retire. Well, the, my friends who were 25, they got their down parents, downtown payments from their parents. Like, let's talk about really what it looked like. You got money from your parents to buy your first house. I bought my parents their first house. Mm. There's a big difference in what I've done and my advice and what other people have done. And so I know I resonate with people who haven't had the safety net because I talk like that. I come from that. My advice doesn't sound all pie in the sky. My advice sounds really practical because that's what I believe will get us out of the situation. And there's not enough voices out there saying it. There's too many voices yeah. encouraging what is otherwise a, a advice for the privileged. No, I love that she said that. And I think we're totally philosophically aligned on this. Like if people come to me and they've been listeners of Gary V for however long, look, I know you're a hard worker. I know you work your face off every single day. Just go for a movie, get out in nature, go to the pool, do whatever it is you do to unplug. You'll thank me later <laughs> because at every turn I'm reminding people, take care of yourself. If you don't exist, your business doesn't exist. Your music doesn't exist and you will die with your best song in you. We don't want that. We really want people to be able to express themselves fully and die empty. As Todd Henry says, tell us a little bit about flow. It's an agency providing branding, content marketing, managed live chat and customer outsourcing, all things I love to geek out over, by the way. Mm -hmm. But there are some interesting nuances to the whole thing, especially around your training program. So share about mm -hmm. that. Yeah, so <clears throat> it's what I was just, just briefly touched on where I've created an apprenticeship program for low-income youth. I had yeah. this vision after selling my last company and I I've helped over a thousand low-income kids go to college on scholarships now, kids just like me. Um, through my through my nonprofit work, I have a nonprofit uh, that I've served for a long time called Minds Matter, and then I was the board chairman over at Kip Colorado Schools and expanded those school systems. So I've I've worked in the low income youth population for many 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 years, and I was seeing kids that were highly capable, high aptitude, you know, um, and college just wasn't going to be an option for them because of their financial circumstances or just life circumstances, and their job options, as I mentioned, are not good. And I was like, you know, what are, what are you going to do about that? That's a problem that I see and I'm not doing anything about it. And I didn't see that many great, you know, nonprofits addressing the issue. Once you're over 18, nonprofits kind of tend to taper off. Um, and I was like, you know, but 18 to 24, you're ripe with opportunity, but your, your options are not awesome. And so what can I do about it? And so I, I, I created this apprenticeship in content marketing and I said, you know, there's a huge demand for marketing, online marketing services. No one cares what your degrees are. They just want to know, can you do the work and deliver results? I've hired them myself plenty. Very different than my last business in wealth management where people very much care about the pedigree. But in mm. marketing, especially digital marketing, people don't care. I, I would be hard-pressed to see what anybody's degrees were in, the, in this space. So I knew that. <laughs> and I believed I could teach really great young people how to take their strong writing skills, so I'd hire them for being great writers, and to teach them content marketing. And by the end of that program, after two years, while working a full-time job and getting paid for their full-time job, so not this like, you know, they got to pay to go to school or, 
which they can't afford to do because they actually have to bring in income or they can't take like internships. Like this is a full paid job. Plus they're getting educated in the apprenticeship program. After the two years, they make 40 grand. And by building that, I've created a marketing company that uses, you know, this, this talent pool that's so untapped, but rich. And I pay very bluntly a lot less money than my competitors for equally or higher talent and definitely more loyal because people will hire an English major out of college and have to pay at least probably 50 grand, 50, 55 for them who doesn't know anything still on when it comes to content marketing. They just have a degree in writing. Well, guess what? I'm training my people up and I'm paying them a lot less. And as they acquire skills, they make more until the point where they can get to 40 grand and then they've got a career path ahead of them that's pretty standard by any industry in marketing, right? So um, I'm paying a lot less, getting at least that quality output, at least. Uh, And I say at least because I have a two-year training curriculum. I can tell you that uh, an English major coming out of college is not getting a two-year training curriculum. They're getting pretty much onboarded for two weeks and then they're getting, you know, basically do your job and they're learning on the job. Well, mine are learning on the job and getting two years of curriculum and they get mentorship and they have milestones at which points they get make more money when they achieve them. So my competitive advantage I'm very open about is I've tapped into a labor pool and by educating them, I help them with their own lives, but I built a much more profitable business. As a result, my services are way more affordable. You can put my services up, up against anybody who does similar services. We're going to be more affordable and crush from a results standpoint. I would actually put my live chat team, which is all my agents. Those agents are, are the apprentices. I would put my live chat team up against any single company's live chat agent, any single company in the world, and also your chat bot. And I guarantee that if we couldn't beat them, that, well, I will say we will beat them. And if we didn't, then nobody would hire us. I'm telling you, that's how good these kids are. And I shouldn't call them kids because they're adults. But like, that's how good they are. They just needed someone to believe in them, to say, I see you. Yeah. I see what you've got. And I'm going to take what you've got and we're going to make something out of that. I'm not going to take what you've got and squander it and try to convince you that instead you should be doing this really crap job. No. I'm going to take that and I'm going to make money off of it. And when I make money off of it, you're going to make some too. And the, the amount that we're going to make together is going to give you a career path. I've got two apprentices graduating next month, making 40 grand, both of them under 24. We're not working, what did not go to college. And, and that to me is a massive competitive edge. And there's so many other things I've built into the business. But this is really important because it ties thematically to where I come from. You understand what I believe in. And, and now when you understand that, you say, well, if I'm going to hire a marketing company, right, like why wouldn't I hire one that uh, has a social mission and is more affordable and can deliver me results? We still live by results. But make no mistake about that. And that's why I'm saying I would put my team up against anybody's in the world on this. But mm-hmm. we, we are quick as a society to ignore this labor pool. We're quick to, to criticize them. Like, oh, they just got to work harder. Yeah, well, if they started with the safety net somebody else had, yeah, they could just work harder and be where you're at. But let me tell you, these kids work hard. They just need somebody to believe in them, to see them, 
and to train them. The worst thing for, for low-income youth is that one bullet point on a job description. Two years minimum experience required. That's the laziest employer bullet point in the world, man. That's so easy. Yeah. Because yeah. what it's saying is, look, I don't really want to teach you all this stuff. Like, just come in knowing something. Yep, that's exactly right. Well, my my apprenticeship program is two years for a reason. I got you. I'll take you on for those two years, and I'll make sure you make money, and I make sure you got a career path. You just got to come to the table with everything you've got. I can't do this, you know, alone. I'm I'm me and my team are a hundred percent of our fifty. Those apprentices got to be a hundred percent of their fifty. It's super cool. And like, what an amazing way to give back as well. You know, I don't know if my listeners know, but all I have is a certificate in discipleship in college. After that, I was done. No more school for me. Mm -hmm. I was horrible in school. I'd be off doing my own thing, drawing graphic novels and mazes and doodles and filling uh, binders with lyrics. I mean, that's what I did in my in my junior high and high school years. So, yeah. But now imagine I, if somebody would have seen that in you, the artist, yes. in you, creative in you and said, you know what? Not only do I see that talent, I've actually got a job that can, that can help you make money off of that. And even if you don't do it for the rest of your life, you've at least got a, a safety net now with a career option at a minimum. Exactly. I mean, that would have been so cool. And right. it's awesome that you're offering that. And that's the same opportunity that I would love to create for others, too. Mm-hmm. Now, you knew and you've already brought this up that I'd have to talk about Bling, which is a book and an album. Normally, yeah. I try to come up with a creative question here, but I feel like it's really a story unto itself. So tell us all about it. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> uh, one of the reasons I was so excited to be on on your show was because we have this in common. We're both authors and musicians. That's a yes. Well, it seems to be a very rare combo. Um, and I entrepreneurs, think it is. right? And entrepreneurs. Yep. So basically, I I wrote a, this book, Bling, and uh, when I wrote the book, I got towards the end, and it, like I said, it's a parable. I got towards the end, and the main character goes through this transformation, and the main character in the book is a rapper, and um, he goes through this transformation had spent all this time in India, starts hearing these, you know, different sounds that are Indian sounds and fuses them with the, the soul and the energy and the vibe of hip hop and creates this kind of, you know, new magnum opus album and, and all kinds of other beautiful things unfold for his life, you know, towards the end of the book. And it's a book of transformation and self-development, self-growth. And But the music, as I was writing that, I started to hear it. I started hmm. to hear it and I was like, yo, that would be dope if that was there. Like this instrument and this instrument, you know, I was picking up like just a little sitar and I was like, oh, if you could put the sitar over this kind of a beat, like that would be hot. And as I was hearing this, I actually called my dad after I'd finished writing and I was like, hey, dad, what's the instrument that sounds like this? And he would explain it to me. What's the instrument that sounds like this? Because I don't know the names of them or I didn't then. I didn't know the names, but I knew the sounds growing up, my dad would, that's what he would listen to. And so I was asking him for those explanations. And so then I went and, you know, looked them up and I was like, gosh, this would be so cool. Maybe I'm supposed to put this as an audio book. You know, that was my thought was, okay, well, it's, I'm, I'm hearing a sound. Like maybe I, I lay this as a score to an audio book. So I went Googling audiobook scores. And sure enough, there's some websites out there that have all this music that you can lay as your score for an audio book. When I clicked on stuff, like nothing was what I was hearing. 
So then I was like, hmm. like what if I just – could I just make this? And, and here's the context. My business that I mentioned from the when I was 13 to 22, I was a professional DJ. Like, mm. yes, I started in house parties and all that, but I was headlining by the time I was eight t- 18. I was headlining six nights a week in Boston. So, like, I, I turned that, and I was also promoting clubs and taking a cut of the, the door and of the bar. Like, I was, I was heavy into that. Um, and so my ear is really good. I have a really good trained ear, but I've never made music. And so as I'm hearing this, I'm like, th- th- there's got to be a way to do this. I bet I could assemble a team, and as long as I can communicate – what I'm hearing to people who can technically put this together and, and we can work together as a collaboration, but they've got the technical skills. I've got the sound. I bet we can put this together. And so I assembled a team. I started writing. Well, then I, I before I actually assembled the team, I, I had that idea, like I can make the music. And then I said, well, if I'm making the music, I already write. And, and personally, I write rhymes. I don't publish them, but they're just, you know, like kind of like it sounds like what you were doing, but you've taken it a lot further. Um, yeah. I was writing rhymes on my own. And I was like, well, I can write. Like, let me get a let me get somebody who would write with me and, and I bet you we could write a song. And I was like, well, if I write a song, why don't I just make a whole album? Well, if I make an album, <laughs> that's kind of like a soundtrack to the book. And then my like head exploded. I was like, oh, <laughs> a soundtrack to the book. I was like, wait a minute. Books get turned into movies, movies get soundtracks, yep. but books don't get soundtracks. That's right. I didn't either. It's a terrible idea, which is why it's not been done or, or I might be onto something. And I didn't really care whether it was a terrible idea or not. I wanted it to exist. I wanted it to exist. And so I felt like I'm going to create it. So chapter for chapter, the bling book, every chapter and the bling album, chapter for chapter, track for track, same titles of each chapter and each track. So when you hear the music, it's all influenced by that chapter. It's not obviously like verbatim words, but it's an influence from that chapter. So if you hear the song and you remember and you've read the book, they work in tandem. You can recall lyrics, but you'll recall the lessons that I'm teaching because we know music is way easier to recall. We can recall lyrics from 10, 20, whatever years ago, but it'd be, we'd be pretty hard pressed to recall a paragraph of a book, mm. right? And so music has that power. And if I'm in the, if I'm a creative in the business, quote unquote, of spreading a message, I say quote unquote, because I actually, this isn't my business, right? Is is uh, music and 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 writing or passions? They're not they're not the, my only business model. Um, but if I'm in the business of spreading a message, why should I limit it to one medium? Let me use the the, the mediums at at my disposal now. And so that's where I got the idea to create an album, and I assembled a team. Uh, truly went onto YouTube, found like different artists that I really loved that it could fit like this kind of vibe that I was thinking about. Um, there's like a Spanish singer on one song and I, I wrote some like the, the bridge and I wrote the, the hook in Spanish because I wanted to flex a little bit of my Spanish skills. And I found this lady from Cuba who's a beautiful singer, Karen Inder. And she sang like, so, you know, I, I brought all this team together to really take my, my vision and to start to translate it and really get it refined. Um, and now, I mean, we've got this, we've got this beautiful album and uh, it's, it's, from my knowledge, outside of Kitty books, it's the first uh, book with the soundtrack. Now, it might, like I said, if, if you know, actually, tell me. I, I haven't heard of it, but my, when my team went looking for it, we couldn't find it. Um, but the book went number one bestseller uh, pretty awesome. quickly. Went on the first day within some number of hours. Went to number one bestseller. Um, I think as of right now, there's like 85 star reviews on Amazon, which is kind of cool. And 
The album has, you know, spins in 36 different countries. I got Shazammed in Belgium last week, which blew my mind because I was like, first of all, how's my music playing in Belgium out loud? <laughs> and second of all, someone Shazammed it? That's cool. Um, so anyhow, yeah. that's, that's the story of it. <laughs> No, I love that. I think that's exactly how an entrepreneur would think, right? Like I'm working on a project as well where it's going to be a single. And then I thought, well, if I'm going to release a single, why not put out an EP? If it's going to uh-huh. be an EP, why not put out an album? If it's going to uh-huh. be an album, why not put out one with bonus tracks? If I'm going to put out one with bonus tracks, why not put out one with instrumentals? And uh, musicians don't always think that way, but guess what? It's on the podcast now. So there you go. There's a little bit it. of secret sauce and magic that uh, that you can make happen. And the idea of a, of a album in a book, I, I had that too. And <laughs> not, not this year because uh, I got more books to write and I've got five books already. You can tell that's a big part of my hustle, but yeah, I think uh, next year I'm going to begin looking cool. at that possibility. Very cool. Yeah. Shifting gears a little bit, I've got an exciting group of questions that give listeners a better insight into who you are, what you've faced, and specific takeaways they can action. What's the last YouTube video you watched? Joe Rogan and Jordan Peterson. There you go. And what is your daily routine like? Ooh, um, I'm up pretty early. I'm up at 5 to 5.15. I meditate for an hour and a half every day, so I have a really deep and strong meditation practice. Um, I do some breathing exercises. Um, what's uh, Wim Hof, if you guys are, if you have any, any of you have heard of Wim Hof hmm. breathing or Wim Hof method. Um, my article, actually, I wrote an article. Uh, I went down to Mexico and did some training uh, on the Wim Hof method. And my article actually is like page one of Google for when you, whenever you, whenever you look for Wim Hof method or Wim Hof method review. Um, so, so that's a big part of my life there. And then uh, I have two little kids uh, and a wife. And so, you know, we have like the family time, get, get everybody ready. Um, and uh, I tend to do all the fun kids hang out and get them ready and all that stuff. And I'm sitting down at work by 839. Uh, and then I have a full day of work. Um, I'll usually break and take and work out at home now that we've, we're in this COVID era. Uh, so I'll, I'll work out here uh, and then join the family for dinner, hang out, et cetera. And then usually at night, my wife tends to go to bed pretty early. She's usually in bed by about nine-ish. And mm-hmm. so I stay up till, well, it's probably too late these days. I need to rein it back in. But I'm usually up till about midnight, 1230. Um, I don't sleep a huge amount, which is a problem because it, when I don't sleep well, um, I'm less able to get into the flow state. And flow state is a, is a very, uh, it's a big part of my work life. The first, you know, from 8.30 or 9 till 12, there's no interruptions and no distractions. I'm only working on flow state. And in fact, my whole leadership team is, is assigned that. There's no Slack. There's no email. There's no phone call. There's no meetings for my entire leadership team from 8 in the morning till noon so that they can work in flow state. So sleep is one part of recovery, which is needed. So that's why I say it's problematic that I'm sleeping less. I need to probably take an extra hour. Um, but then I, I, I hit the sack from there. So that's a pretty, that's a pretty average day. Got it. You know, I don't know how to phrase this question exactly. You mentioned meditation and I know it's kind of a big movement in in entrepreneurship right now as well. You know, I also knew somebody who I think got up at 4 a.m. and meditated for three hours or four hours or something like that. You know, is there any connection between that? And I think there's there's sort of a thought movement that there's some correlation between that and success in business. But uh, 
do you think there's a connection there? Yeah, for sure. But maybe for a couple of different reasons. I think I think there's the tactical skills that one builds and enhances through meditation. Um, the skills of concentration, for example, concentration is just mm. being able to hold your focus for a prolonged period of time. Concentration is also a fundamental skill if you're trying to work in flow state or, and if you're entertaining in flow state, um, right? Like maybe you've ever, you've been on flow state by, by doing your music, right? Like, or yes. writing. Um, I wrote bling in five days, for example, intentionally triggering flow state for the whole wow. day for five days. So my book was done in five. Um, so like, Meditation builds certain skills. It builds the ability to also create space in between thoughts. And when you can create space in between thoughts, something else pours in, ideas, intuition, inspiration. That's what pours in. It's very difficult for any of those three things to pour into you if you're constantly uh, having thought after thought. Think of it like music, actually, just since, since we're, we're both in that, that, er- that, that area. If you stacked note upon note upon note, you just have a cacophony of sound. You wouldn't have music. What creates music is creating space in between notes. With no Mm. space, there's no music. There's no harmony. It's just buzz. And that's the same thing with your mind. When you have thought upon thought upon thought, there's nothing that can be let in. There's nothing innovative that can be let in. So you have to create that space. I found for me, the meditation that works for me, is one that goes from a thousand thoughts to one thought. I'm very goal goal oriented, and so my meditations uh, that I that I learned while I was in India are goal focused. I found it personally nearly impossible to go from a thousand thoughts to zero. So a thousand to one, totally doable. One to zero is like this infinite <laughs> impossibility <laughs> to me. It is um, right and. And I think people resonate with that. Um, for in fact, uh, not to like plug stuff, but I mean, if if somebody's interested in what I'm talking about, it is very clearly laid out in my book what I, the meditation I'm talking mm. about. Um, but I also have a, a free download of a guided meditation that will walk you through this if you go to my website, um, andyseth.com. And so it, it's there for you to learn this this goal based meditation because. I think that one of the reasons people are so turned off, myself included for all those years, was we were asked to do something that was like an advanced level. You know, when I learned about meditation going to India, one of the things that kind of blew me away was meditation is actually the equivalent of the word sport. It's like saying to somebody, you know, what sport do you play? If you ask them, do you meditate? And, it, and it's like, okay, well, yeah, I, I, I play a sport. Well, which sport do you play? Okay, I play, you know, soccer. All right, great. At what level? Oh, I was varsity. Okay, what position? I was left wing, striker. Now you understand how what somebody does. But if you ask somebody, do you play sport? They'd be like, uh, sure. Well, that's the same in meditation. There are so many different types of meditations. People don't mm-hmm. know that. They think meditation is one thing. They think it's a headspace app. That's a, It's one way of meditating. But, but – meditation is a is like sport so there's so many different variations and then there's different levels there's beginner intermediate expert etc and the one that i found the one that i teach is meant for people who are very you know ambitious very driven and need a goal and need to get something out of it that's why i can spend an hour and a half 
before when I was doing the empty your head thing, I couldn't get past like seven minutes. Very eloquent answer. Loved it. What is the biggest challenge you've overcome? Unquestionably, it's it's mastering myself. Huh. That, that, there's no there's no challenge that would be any bigger, and I don't mean that like to be fuzzy. The things about myself, I'll give you I'll give you an example. Um, when you look at archetypes of humans, you know Carl Jung had created kind of an initial set of, of archetypes. Uh, Lolly Daskal has has made some really cool updated archetypes in her book, The Leadership Gap. You know when you look at archetypes and and you say, okay, this is one way to cut human beings and, and look at them. There's a particular archetype that uh, for, for type A highly driven people, there's a set of archetypes. And, and the one that I'm particularly most like has these great strengths, right? It, it's like I can I have great vision and I'm great at implementing and I, and I, I can explore really well and, and translate those things. But it, I've also got a shadow self. And that shadow self is my ego. Hmm. You know, I talk a lot about this in my book is the difference between ego and soul. But that ego, that's, an, that's a mofo. The ego is I, – I, I look at the ego like this little like dude that lives inside of me and he's, he's constantly talking and narrating the world and telling me about everything it sees and how he doesn't like this or how this person should have done this and always talking to me. And, and it's like my best friend because I listen to him. I listen to him constantly. But his advice is horrible. His <laughs> advice, his intent is always from the wrong place. It's to look good or to prevent yes. or to prevent shame or to not be afraid. The intent is always wrong. And so when I say to conquer myself that, that's the biggest obstacle, the biggest obstacle is getting that ego to speak less loudly and to get the true me – I'm gonna, I call it soul, call it whatever you want, to speak louder because that soul has no, no negative intent. So it's not trying to drown out the ego. The ego wants to drown out that stuff. So when I sit in meditation or sometimes, frankly, I'll just sit and think or I'll sit and not think. I'll just sit. But I'm trying to let my soul speak louder because it's so quiet and the ego is so loud. So the conquering of that voice to get to really the true intent from myself is, is always going to come from love. Love is always going to be the answer from the soul. It has no other interest. There's not even an opposite. It's just love. But to get to love is really complicated when you have an ego that has a bunch of, of needs that have to be met. And that, if I... The, the better I can be at quieting the ego and getting it to sit down and to not influence my decisions, the better I am. Yeah, I get it. The human tendency is to look good or avoid looking bad. And that's from a psychological perspective as well as I keep referring back to. But so when that tendency is there, we don't listen from a place of emptiness as we should to others. We listen from a place of I like it, I don't like it. It's good. It's bad. It'll work. It won't work. You know what I mean? As I'm sure many of my listeners struggle with that when they come into uh, listen to a podcast. We're delivering incredible value every single week, and we know it. But are people going to act on it? Are they going to hear it in a way that empowers them? And that's the that's the real challenge. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. What's the greatest victory you've experienced? There's accomplishments, and there's a victory. Um, mm. 
a victory feels like a final destination. And so I'm going to tell you just very truthfully, I, I'm not sure I'm totally bought into there being a victory. Um, mm-hmm. I think the purpose for me is, is self-realization. It's to realize the, my life's full potential. Um, there are, there's a road of victories or achievements along the way. Um, and I think there's a level of like recency bias. I would point to something maybe more recent, you know, I could point to, uh, simple things like, you know, this, in this last quarter during COVID, I over doubled my firm's annual revenues. Um, that's a pretty proud achievement, but is that a, is that a life type of victory? Well, that, that, you know, that might be small compared to a year from now when we quadruple the size of the business. Right. So like, I don't know, but, um, I think the, the, the big aim for me, uh, is self-realization and being able to maximize the potential I know I have and to feel that, that, that's the, that's the big accomplishment that there's so many accomplishments I've had that didn't matter to me. Like I got there and I was kind of like, yeah, cool. Pat on the back, move on. Those were not real victories. It's the few victories where I've actually felt it like, whoa, I can't believe like this is happening right now. Like this is my life. And that happens to me more often on a daily basis during the, this portion of meditation when I, when I do gratitude because I, I look around and, and I'm not the richest guy out there. I'm not the anything guy out there. But I do look at my life like, yo – this is my life. Like, this is my life. Like, are you kidding me? Like I'm playing at the, at a, at a, in a game at the highest level or one of the highest levels. And like, that's my life now. That's a victory every day for real though. Like not like, not just, you know, yeah, I'm so grateful. I'm telling you, like, I feel it when you mm. feel it, that's way different than hitting a milestone and kind of moving on, which is pretty much most of, most people and most of my own life, I've definitely been that. But with the few moments where I feel it are usually in like quiet gratitude. And when I feel it, that's the victory is because that's what all this is for. You Ultimately, you want to feel something, right? You're not trying to just acquire something. Mm-hmm. You want to feel that. And, and if you feel fulfilled, you don't really care what did it. You just want the feeling. And, and that's, that's the victory to me. I like that answer. It, it reminded me of the time... I played my first show with my band. It was an outdoor gig and it went okay. It didn't go amazingly. We were playing to some punk kids and they were there for the band that was there before us who were super fast and, and, and punk rock. And uh, they, someone stuck around for us. But at the end of it, I felt empty. I was kind of just like, mm. hmm, is that it? You know, that wasn't it. It's mm-hmm. not like I love live performance, but that wasn't it. And yeah. yeah, so I had shows where that were the complete opposite, where it's like, wow, I was, I was able to put it all out there. My whole being, all of my emotions, all of my expressions were out there. But that was, that show was not it. So mm-hmm. I definitely get where you're coming from. Our listeners are highly growth oriented and love learning about new resources. So are there any books that have helped you on your journey? Oh, my gosh, man. <laughs> so many books. Um I will tell you this, this kind of goes back to the safety net conversation. I've never had anybody in my life who I would consider a mentor 
who's really like put me under their wing and taught me something. It's just never happened. And, and maybe it's because I've had a big ego that wouldn't be welcoming. Uh, mm. I don't know, but I certainly wasn't born into it. And um, where I found this quote unquote mentorship are in authors, are in books. I read mm. constantly. I'm a binge reader. Like I speed read, I binge read. I don't know like all the shows. I do keep up with music a lot, but definitely not on shows, but because I read. Um, so books that have impacted me, I mean, I could pick them apart. There's so many that have impacted me. Um, I think if we were talking about growth, right? So we're talking about people who want to grow. Uh, and when you say growth, are you talking about business or personal? You know, that's a wonderful question. I think people are looking to grow in all aspects, especially their music career, right? But I okay. think because the podcast is very much about marrying music with business, which I feel yeah. is still kind of new, right? It might be 10, 15 years old, but until recently, there was no consciousness of this idea of, oh, I can merge entrepreneurship with music mm-hmm. in, in, in a new kind of way. So Yeah, okay. So, yeah. So I, I got you. So, so – if we're talking about it from that standpoint, I think the book Traction by Gino Wickman uh. is has got to be on your list. It is he, – he codified a system called the Entrepreneurial Operating System, EOS, and I run my businesses on it. But there are thousands and thousands of very, very successful entrepreneurs, very successful entrepreneurs who have switched to this system – Meaning, I've got a, I've got my company's multi, multi million dollar company, and I, I run it on this system, and there's friends of mine who have equal sizes, bigger sizes, ten plus million dollar size companies, and they switched to this. I've got, uh, I ran a political campaign on this. My nonprofit runs on it. It's not that Gino, Gino's a genius, and if Gino ever listens to this, sorry, bro, but you're not a genius. <laughs> His genius was was he took all these years of books and packaged it up into one. All the things that I've had to read painstakingly and pull from and pull from and build into a system, he put into one system. So if you were to read one quintessential book on how to run and build a successful business, that's the book. That's Mm. the one. Because there are thousands and thousands of entrepreneurs who have built wildly successful companies on this operating system. Everybody else can write a book about how they've scaled their business and whatever, but they don't have the testimonials of that many companies. And my own friends do it. My, I've done it in three or four different organizations myself. Um, so that, that'd be the book I would say. I also think there's greatness in learning from, you know, people who are like champions. Um, Phil Jackson wrote a great book called 11 rings and you know, he's the most winningest NBA coach in history, um, 11 mm-hmm. championships. He also won two championships as a player. That guy figured something out. So if, you, if you're a, a, at all a sports fan or just like to learn from the best, Phil Jackson's book, 11 Rings, uh, is, is up there for me as well. Um, I could keep going on, to be honest with you, but I, I feel like maybe that's, that's too <laughs> no, that's awesome. Uh, I loved hearing all about that. And I went and got the Traction Kindle myself. I, I know about Gina Wickman. I know about the book. Mm-hmm. haven't read it yet. So it's okay. time for me. Time for me to get on that. Awesome. This 
has been an amazing conversation and maybe we'll have to have you on again when you have your next crazy idea about uh, music and books or maybe something even beyond that. Maybe there will be a movie. Who knows? But uh, thank you for your time and generosity, Andy. Is there anything else I should have asked? No, no, no. I appreciate it. I, I did want to make an offer to the listeners, though. Um, yeah. And that is um, – if you text me, I'll give you my phone number. If you text me and you text uh, this number, the first three people that text in, I'll sign an autograph and put my book in the mail and, and ship it out to you personally. Um, so here's, my, here's the phone number to, to text. It's 646-495-9867. 646-495-9867. And text Feel Me Flow. Feel Me Flow. Three words. Text Feel Me Flow. That way I know what's what, what who, what's going on here. It's not some spam number. Um, and and uh, we'll get your we'll get you that book. Um, and if there's anything that you you are interested in that I've talked about, whether it's the meditations, uh, if it's my music, uh, the central place to look for everything is andyseth.com. Uh, that's just mm-hmm. my personal website. And I've got uh, I write uh, m- maybe not as many books as you. I've got two books, but uh, I do write a, and publish weekly. Uh, content that's free and um, I write it myself so uh, if you go there you can check that out and my album is everywhere music is it's under my artist name a love a dash l-u-v and mm-hmm. so if you want to check my music out uh, just be ready to turn up the bass man I, I, I put good <laughs> 808s in that thing so uh, enjoy it but um, you're gonna love it and it's and it's super kid-friendly and my, my own four-year-old and six-year-old at the time when I made the album like they know every song every lyric to every song and it's intentional I want that message to spread, but it's banging. So, so check that out too. Very generous, Andy. Thank you so much. For sure. And it's time for three key takeaways from this episode. As always, you're allowed to have your own. You can have your own takeaways. Those are the best ones. These are the things that stood out to me. Number one, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. But you still need to be careful who you're taking advice from especially if it's coming from someone with a safety net you don't have, because even the best tips in the world don't apply to every situation and no one can see the entire picture without standing in your shoes. Number two, Bling was a parable that became a book and a musical album. Do you have any projects that could translate well to different mediums? Could you get more leverage out of something you created just by seeing it in three dimensions, or as I like to say, by extrapolating. The idea might just be worth exploring. Three, mastery of self is the greatest undertaking and quite possibly the most valuable challenge you can personally overcome. What can you do to get mastery over self? What habits could you develop? Will you be more vigilant around sleep, meditation, and exercise? Will you do these things regardless of how you're feeling? What structures could you put in place to ensure you follow through on what you've committed to? Leave your comments in the show notes. And it's time for news and updates. So the doors to my 60-day program close August 1st. Today is July 30th. You can do math, can't you? So that's right. There isn't a whole lot of time left regardless. But whether you want to learn about that program or just receive updates or learn about some future opportunities, which are coming, they're going to be pretty cool. I would suggest joining my email list so you aren't left out. Now, you also get a free weekly action plan when you join. 
Did I mention that? So go to musicentrepreneurhq.com slash join, sign up, and you will be greeted by a series of emails talking about who I am and what Music Entrepreneur HQ is all about. Of course, I ask you some personal questions, such as what are you struggling with right now? So whether you're an avid listener of the show or just someone who tunes into episodes here and there based on the topics covered, we do love it that you're listening. But I just want to remind you that leaving a review in iTunes does make a big difference for us. We don't hear from you all the time, and we assume that's because we're doing our job. But we don't have other listeners. You're not hearing this right now if you're not a listener of the show. You know how that works, don't you? And we know there are a thousand some odd listeners out there. So please leave a review and rating for the show in iTunes. We say it every single time in the outro, but we really, really, really do mean it. And if you want to support the podcast more tangibly, you can always head over to patreon.com slash new music industry and become a patron for the show. Now, don't come back to me and say, I didn't tell you what to do or how to do it. I get that you might not be in a position to do this right now, and I can appreciate that whether you're walking, running, exercising, or driving to work, but it does make a difference. It is important. And though we know content doesn't always get engaged with these days, could we be a little different? Could this community be a little different? Could this music entrepreneur community start being action takers? Is it okay if I call you out on that? Action takers really are the ones that make things happen in this world. I feel passionately about this. No action, no difference, right? And you might tire of me saying this, but it's who I want to attract to the community. It's who we want to attract to our community. If you aren't on board, then you're off board. There's really no middle here. We can get this done. It's easy. It takes a couple of minutes. So go and get this done. As always, the best way to get in touch with me conveniently and quickly is on Twitter. My username is at David A. Weeb. Thanks for joining me today. I'm David Andrew Weeb, and I look forward to seeing you on the stages of the world. Thank you for listening. Music in this episode was brought to you by Brian Young. Wherever you're listening to this right now, please consider leaving a five-star review and comment to help us get the word out about the podcast.